Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It's Ephesians chapter 1, reading verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. David, thank you very much for reading for us. And um, let me add my welcome to Ben's welcome. It's great to have you here tonight. Uh, This Sunday is the Sunday after Easter, and we have just a one-off sermon tonight from Ephesians 1, this uh, wonderful prayer from Paul, which will help us just tonight to rejoice once again in what the resurrection of Jesus means for us here, even tonight. And to that end, uh, let me pray as we turn to God's word. Father, we do thank you very much for the great events of the Easter story, the death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. And as we look now at this wonderful prayer that the Apostle Paul prays, please would you help us? Please help me tonight to be faithful to your word and please help all of us to believe and to leave here tonight changed by what we've read and by the work of your spirit in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever heard of Graham Short. He is an engraver. He specializes in micro-engraving. And uh, recently he caused quite a stir by engraving the portrait of the author Jane Austen onto the new five-pound notes. You've probably heard the story. Uh, The thing is, he only engraved four-pound notes. Five-pound notes. I've I've got one here. Um, you, you've probably seen the new five-pound notes. He, he's taken four of them. He's engraved a, a portrait of Jane Austen on it and a few quotes from her books. And then he dispersed these five-pound notes into general circulation. And now they're worth not five pounds, but 50,000 pounds. Makes you want to kind of rustle around into your uh, wallet or purse to see what note you've got, haven't you? And um, I, I've been told that three, three of these notes have been found, but there is one note out there somewhere in this country 
that has not yet been found. In someone's wallet or purse or um, the shelf at home or somewhere in the car is stuffed this five pound note that they think is worth five pounds but is in fact worth 50,000 pounds. And tonight this is, no, it's not the notes, I've checked. (laughs) You see, it's an easy mistake to make. You look at the note, you see five pounds, it's worth 50,000 pounds because you can miss what you're looking for, just a little engraving. And you don't realize that perhaps in your possession you have something far more important than you realized. Tonight, as we turn to this prayer from the Apostle Paul, I think all of us here tonight are in danger of making a far greater mistake about something far more precious, not with some five-pound note, although I would say that afterwards, if you want any help working out, if you've got the one, I'll be at the door at the back. very happy to help you later on. No, he's not talking about money. He's talking about something far more precious. Before us tonight is one of the great prayers of the New Testament. And um, as we dive into this uh, as a one-off um, and uh, kind of the Sunday after Easter, uh, we're going to see that Paul is praying that we would understand as those who are in Christ, who are trusting Christ, that we'd understand how the great events of the Easter story, the death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, change everything for us in the most profound and precious way. To be in Christ is of great value. And he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be opened even for us here tonight, to understand the riches of what we have in Christ, but because we might just miss it. That's where we're going tonight. Before we dive into the details of the prayer, just a word in the context of where this prayer comes in Ephesians. Paul has begun his letter with these incredible words back in verse three of Ephesians one. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. (laughs) These are remarkable words. Uh, Before the creation of the world, before time began, God has chosen each one of us to be in Christ. He has poured out his wonderful blessings on us, the blessings of uh, forgiveness and adoption, the, the blessings of a certain inheritance in the future, the blessings of being united with Christ in the heavenly realms now where he is seated, the blessings of having, of being part of this eternal plan that fills the world. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, says Paul. It's just, it, it doesn't always feel like it. Paul himself writes from prison, probably in Rome and facing probably his death. The Ephesian Christians he's writing to were part of a very small church gathering surrounded by the mighty Roman Empire. They would have felt very small and insignificant. The culture all around them in Asia Minor was a pagan culture focused on instant gratification, living in the moment, living for themselves. Many had turned to magic and superstitions. And as Christians, it would have felt like they were missing out on life. What about us here tonight as we prepare for a new week, perhaps the start of a new term for those who are studying? Maybe we have work pressures, family pressures, caring for friends. Whatever it is, I wonder if at times we feel very much like the Ephesians. In Christ, yes. Blessed, yes. But part of something very small, very insignificant. We go into our workplaces and no one else is a Christian Uh, We go to the school gates and it seems to make no difference to the world around us that there is a Christ who's been raised. 
And so having outlined all the tremendous blessings that we have in Christ, what does Paul do next? Well, verse 15, this is where our prayer begins. He says, verse 15, for this reason, for this reason, and he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray because Paul knows that there's a very real danger that these Ephesian Christians will fail to realize just how much they really have in Christ. And he prays, really, this prayer that they might understand and believe and rejoice in and accept that even if in their circumstances it doesn't look as if they have much, in fact, in Christ, they have everything, every spiritual blessing. And so he prays. Uh, He begins by thanking God, rightly, um, uh, verse uh, 16 for what God has done in the lives of these Ephesians. He then goes on, verse 17, to pray for a greater knowledge of God by the work of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they might know um, God better. And then we come, verse 18, to the heart, I think, of this prayer, and we're gonna spend most of our time from verse 18 onwards. And Paul says, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's a slightly odd thought, isn't it? We know that we've got physical eyes by which we can see the world around us and our physical eyes are scanning all the time, even tonight, working out where we are in the world. Paul says that our hearts have eyes, by which we too scan the world around us. Uh, Our hearts in the Bible, they are the control room of our lives. They are the place where we make decisions, where our emotions and our feelings and attitudes flow out from. And Paul is saying here that our hearts have eyes that look out on the world. They are perceiving our environment. They're weighing up what is around us. And based on what they see, so they make decisions. Out of our heart flows our attitudes, uh, our hopes and despairs, our grumpiness, our joy, our peace, our anger. All these things come out of our hearts. And our hearts are influenced by what they see. Our hearts have eyes. And Paul is praying here that our hearts would be enlightened by God's spirit. That they would be able to see the world as it really is, as God would have us see it. And he goes on to pray for three particular areas where he wants the Ephesians and us to have good heart sight. Perhaps we saw these areas. He continues to pray, verse 18, that our hearts' eyes would be enlightened. Why? Well, in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us. That's one area. God has given us a wonderful calling, part of his people. It's an eternal plan in Christ, and we could spend a whole time just unpacking the thought of our calling in Christ, but we don't have time tonight. Uh, Paul continues, verse 18 at the end, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. Uh, We are God's inheritance. We are his prized possession. And what a thought. As God looks at us, he sees his inheritance, and he loves us. And we could spend a whole sermon thinking about that wonderful thought. But on this Sunday after Easter, I want to spend the rest of our time tonight looking at that final thing that Paul prays about. And this is truly remarkable. Paul wants our heart eyes to be opened so that we may know, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. I don't think Paul is praying that that we would have power, 
but rather that our eyes will be opened to the power we already have in Christ. And I wanted just to spend the rest of our evening allowing God's word to open our eyes afresh to the power that we do have. And unless our heart eyes are opened, then we will make the five pound note mistake. We will not realize how precious the thing is that we have given to us by God. Well, what, uh, what is Paul praying for tonight? What does he want us to see? Well, three thoughts for us tonight from Ephesians 1. Here's the first one. God has given us his great power. Verse 19 again. He wants us to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. When I was at school, I um, took part in the, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards scheme, uh, rather badly, uh, as it turns out. But um, you, you may know how it works. Part of this scheme is you have to do various um, challenges or tasks, and one of them is an expedition. And I remember our teacher at school driving us in the school minibus out to some windswept mountain pass in the pouring rain and chucking us out of the minibus, saying, right, you've got your rucksack, you've got your map and your compass, you know the route, um, I'll see you tonight at the campsite good luck. Then he jumped back in the minibus and drove off, leaving us to it. He told us that he wasn't allowed to go with us. We had to do it on our own. And that was part of the challenge, to work out if we could actually navigate our way from the the, the lay-by to the campsite safely. Uh, We just about made it that night. But uh, I wonder if, as Christians, we can feel as if God treats us a bit like my teacher from school. He um, opens the door and says, right, there you are. It's not a particularly easy environment to be a Christian, but there it is. Um, Good luck. I hope it goes well. And I'll see you at the end um, when you make it. But that is exactly the opposite of how God treats his children. We are not left on our own to cope as best we can, to, to stumble forward until we finally reach the goal. No, God is with us. He makes his incredibly great power available to us now. He, he goes with us tomorrow morning to work, to the school gates with our friends, our family, in all the pressures of us in terms of demands on our time, our energy, things that stress us and wear us out. God has made available to each one of us his incomparably great power. If only we could see it. We desperately need to understand this, don't we? I don't mind telling you that uh, over the last week or so as I've begun to look ahead to this coming term, I've, I've just sort of um, gone through my diary and worked out the various things that have to happen this term. And um, if I'm honest this week, I've at times felt overwhelmed by what's coming up. Various um, diary dates and things to sort out and plan and things to organize and people to look out for, all, all kinds of things. And I'm sure I'm not alone at the start of this new term as we look forward to what lies ahead. Maybe it's exams, maybe it's work pressures, big decisions, moves, all kinds of things. And we just think, I haven't got it. I haven't got what it takes to get through what's coming my way. Um, I think of my own life, not just the pressures from outside, but uh, my own limitations, my sin, my battle with my own heart. The things that I know I should do, I don't often do. And I reckon I'm not alone here again tonight on that matter. And so it is wonderful news that God makes his power available to us. As we read through Ephesians, we see uh, something of what his power is for. It's so that we can be the people he wants us to be. I wish I had more time to to show us from Ephesians, but he wants us to, 
to serve well, to love well, to use our speech well, to conduct ourselves well in terms of purity, uh, to conduct our marriages in a way that points people to Christ. He wants us to live rightly as his people, and he makes his incomparably great power available so that we can live as his people. I wonder if we often fail at the first hurdle with this one. We forget we have God's power in the first place. And remember, that is why Paul is praying. He's not, he's not praying that God would send his power to these Christians because they haven't got it yet. No, I think he's praying that they would realize that they already have this power made available to them. It's just that they don't realize it. Their heart eyes are clouded on this one. And his prayer is all about having their heart eyes open to what they already have in Christ. And how often do we stumble out on a Monday morning, leaving the house, facing the day ahead, feeling overwhelmed, and we haven't stopped to remember what we have in Christ. This incomparably great power to help us be the people God wants us to be. And that is why it's so significant that Paul is on his knees praying for these dear Ephesians. Because on our own, we won't remember, we won't see as we should. And so he's praying that these dear Christians would know what they already have in Christ, this remarkable power. And I reckon that if there aren't people praying for us, that we too will leave the house on Monday morning again and again and again, forgetting the power we have in Christ. Uh, Selfishly, if you ever do pray for the staff team or pray for me, um, Great, if you would pray sometimes, I need your help. Um, Would you pray these kinds of prayers for us? That we wouldn't embark on our ministry here as a staff team at Forward in our own strength, but rather relying on God's incomparably great power. We need it. If you're trying to think through how to pray for your, your school friends or your spouse or the people in your small group, here's a good prayer to pray for them tomorrow morning, that they wouldn't leave the house without having their heart eyes open to the, to the remarkable power they have in Christ. What a wonderful way to bless someone as they face a new week. God has given us his great power. That's our first point tonight. Next, God has given us his resurrection power. Verse 19 continues. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This is extraordinary power. This is life-changing, world-changing power. The journey that Jesus experienced, he was at the lowest point. He was hung on a cross as a condemned criminal, dying the death we deserved in utter humility and then wonderfully on the third day raised from that lowest point up to the highest point of exaltation. What remarkable power to bring Jesus Christ from so low to so high. And that same power is at work in us. God has given us his resurrection power In Ephesians 2, over the page, Paul will go on to say that we were all dead in our sins, but verse 6, God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. It's the same kind of journey from death to life that Christ has gone through and we too have experienced in Christ 
and now seated with him in the heavenly realms. If only our heart eyes would be opened to what this power means for us tonight. If you like, we have eternity coursing through our lives. We've been raised with that kind of power. Uh, People spend hours and hours in the gym. They spend thousands of pounds on cosmetics and surgery. They spend money on special diets and superfoods, all in the effort to stave off the effects of aging. Because, of course, death is the great enemy. And yet no amount of supplements or early nights can stave off the inevitable. Just uh, this last week, I was out walking um, just in the Mayfield Valley, and um, I was walking a route I walk often. I was just walking normally, and as I walked down the hill, I didn't miss a step. I took another step, and suddenly this stabbing pain in my, in my back, out of nowhere, I just suddenly felt my back seize up, and um, I had a sort of muscle spasm. And for the next few days, I've been mooning around the house about how sore my back is. I've never had a back problem in my life. And yet this week, I've experienced the first, I'm sure, of many back problems because I am aging. I'm getting old. (laughs) This is what happens. And um, there'll be many more moans, I'm sure, about um, poor backs from Pete in the years to come. Unless the eyes of our hearts are opened, it is devastating to age, to grow old, to see the gray hairs, to realize that we weren't what we used to be. I remember hearing a radio discussion panel a few months ago between, um, I think, three retired athletes. One had been a a gold medal hockey player, one was uh, an international rugby player, and one was a rower. They'd all retired, and they were all talking about how hard they'd found it to move out of international competitive sports into retirement. And they talked to each one of them about the moment of devastation when they realized that their bodies were no longer up to it, that they couldn't compete at the highest level, and that the thing they'd been living for for the last 20 years was now over. And as they retired, they thought, what do I do with my life? My life feels over. What next? There were desperate times of depression for a couple of them, very hard. Now, we may not be international sports people here tonight, but we do prize our bodies, don't we? Very much. Maybe for some it's our physical looks. Maybe it's for, uh, for others it's our, our energy, our capacity to work. Maybe it's our intellect, our minds, our brains able to solve problems and make money with how we can think, helping people perhaps. And so when we discover, and we will all discover it at some point, even the youngest and fittest of us here tonight, when we start to discover that our physical powers, our mental powers are starting to wane, that we, were, we, are, we are now not the people we used to be, it is hard. Just a few weeks ago, the, the Arsenal coach, Arsene Wenger, was being asked about whether he would retire from coaching Arsenal. He's been around for many years. And he said no. He wasn't going to retire yet. And I quote, because retirement is dying. It's a very telling word, isn't it? Because our culture is so tuned in to living for the physical and the immediate because we think that is all there is. And so for as long as our bodies work and we achieve much in this physical short-term life, then we're doing well. But when decline happens, we start feeling as if we're dying. Life is over. But in Christ, in Christ, we have resurrection power coursing through our lives. 
Now, please don't mishear me. In this age before Christ returns, death is still a reality. Our bodies will still die. But in Christ, death is not the end. The moment we put our trust in Christ, our eternal life begins. And we will go on living forever. And wonderfully in the new creation, we will receive eternal perfected bodies. And so to realize that in Christ, the power of his resurrection is now at work in us changes everything about how we think about this world now. Yes, it is hard to grow old, hard to feel our bodies failing us. And yes, death can be scary. I'm not trying to belittle these things. But when we realize that we too have this resurrection power coursing through us and that we will experience resurrection life in Christ physically, tangibly, beyond the grave. It changes everything about our struggle now in the present. And Paul wants our heart eyes to be opened that we could see this wonderful reality that we have resurrection life pumping through us now as we trust in Christ. God has given us his resurrection power. Finally, God has given us his unrivaled power. Lots of people have power. Donald Trump has power. The the North Korean president, Kim Jong-un, has power. Our boss at work has power. But look at the kind of power Paul is talking about. Verse 19 again. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet. See, this is not just resurrection power that brings life beyond the grave. This is talking about power over every other power. Speaking about Christ, one commentator noted it this way, the resurrection proclaims he lives and that forever The exaltation proclaims he reigns, and that forever. I love the little detail in verse 20. It's not little, actually. It's massive. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Someone put it this way. Angels stand or fall in worship in God's presence. The exalted Son sits And so this is remarkable power. Remember that journey I talked about from lowest humility to resurrection to exaltation to this ultimate place of glory and power next to his heavenly father. There is no higher throne in the universe. And Christ now reigns this world unrivaled. And somehow remarkably, unthinkably, we have been caught up in this power. We have this power at our disposal, even little us here tonight. This power means that God's plan for his church will succeed, even for us. I guess uh, most of us fall out of bed in the morning with at least some kind of idea of how our plan will go for the day. Maybe we have a list of things to do, a sense of what we want to achieve or happen. And some days, we, we just about manage the plan. 
But at other days, it just doesn't happen the way we think it would happen. Never had one of those days when just everything's out of control. We can't get things lined up the right way. Accidents happen, emergencies. People don't respond the way we expect. And by the end of the day, we look back at the chaos of our day and it's been out of control and our plans are in shatters. And we realize that we just don't have the power to control even one day, let alone eternity and the universe. That is because we lack wisdom and power to control this world, but not so with God. Jesus Christ has complete power over everyone and everything for eternity, and his plans for his church will succeed. His plans will blossom and come to fruition, and to be in Christ is to be caught up in that eternal, unstoppable plan of King Jesus. And this is such a relief. I don't know how your day will go tomorrow. I don't know if your plans will succeed or fail, whether you'll end the day feeling happy or frustrated, but to be in Christ is to know that we are caught up with a far bigger plan that will succeed, bringing all things together under one head, even Christ, for his church, the people of God. Of course, this power also helps us in our fight. Ephesians 6.12, Paul reminds us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And see, Monday morning will come around, and it will be a morning of battle. It will be a struggle. Paul says it will be. Not just against a car that won't start or health problems. It is a a spiritual battle. There are forces at work against Christ and the people of God but they are forces that are no match for us who are in Christ. For Christ has defeated every authority and power. He is seated above them all, ruling them with his great power. And so when we cry out for help in the fight, we cry to the one who has won the battle. As we finish, we live in the overlap of the ages. In his resurrection and exaltation, Jesus has announced that, uh, well, he's been pronounced Lord of this age, and did you notice how Paul put it? The age to come. And yet in this present age, as we wait for the return of Christ and for the age to come, we live in that overlap of the ages. When the resurrection power of Christ has been made available to us when Christ has been exalted by every power and authority and yet in the overlap of the ages there is still a battle waging in this world. And so let's not be thrown by the battle that we feel tomorrow morning. Let's not be thrown when we feel small and insignificant in this world that has rejected Christ. Let's allow the eyes of our hearts to be opened by the Spirit of God, to see what we have in Christ. And so let us remember the incredibly great power we have made available to us. And let us be on our knees praying for ourselves and for others that they too might have the eyes of their hearts opened in this overlap of the ages to what we have in Christ. Let's pray.
perhaps just a moment of quiet, perhaps thinking about Monday morning, perhaps thinking about what lies ahead for us tomorrow as we start a new week. It'll be different for each of us. Father, I pray tonight that in your mercy you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might know all that we have in Christ. Please help us to know that we have this incomparably great power made available to us, this resurrection power, this power of universal rule and kingship. And so tomorrow morning as we leave the house, please would you help us to remember what we have in Christ, lest we think we have less than we do. And please help us to be the people you would have us to be in this overlap of the ages until one day we see our wonderful resurrected king face to face and we are beyond the aches and pains and tears of this broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.